the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah. I'm Sarah Pine, your host, and my guest today needs no introduction. Today, I have Ed Rosenthal, guru of ganja. He has been doing work in cannabis and cultivation and policy for over 50 years. Ed, it is a pleasure to have you today. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here with you. You know, I, I, I might have told you this before, but I've only had two live guests. It's been you and Ellen Holland, both sitting on this couch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's a, a fine writer, and now she's the editor of High Times. I know. I'm so happy for her. Yes. Yes. So I'm going to ask you a really basic question. And you, you may have, I'm, I'm actually, I'm sure you've relayed this before, but what was your first cannabis experience? My first cannabis experience was uh, in college and a friend and I decided to get high and we bought some, uh, bought some weed and uh, was Mexican and we smoked it and we liked it. I, um, within a short time, I realized that uh, cannabis and I were going to have a long-term relationship. And it is the longest relationship that I've had with any woman, with any woman, <laughs> any female. How does Jane feel about that? Well, she has to acknowledge it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What, when, you know, there's a huge difference between enjoying cannabis and being as involved as you have, because you've done a lot of work, you made a lot of sacrifices, and you've paved the way for, hell, me being able to do my job today. What got you into the movement? I was always political. And uh, in college, uh, I was considered pretty radical where I was, which was in industrial part of uh, Ohio. And uh, when I came back to New York, I drifted down to the Lower East Side or the East Village and uh, met up with other political, with other people who were political. And at that time, the Vietnamese War was going on. And... Uh, I got involved with the uh, with the yippies with that, and then uh, after as the war ended, we looked around and everybody uh, who was in the yippies, in one way or another, was earning a living or part of a living through uh, using through marijuana, and that became the next issue. And one of the members, uh, Dana Beal articulated it this way, that cannabis, um, rock music, and um, anti-authoritarianism all went together. And the yippies were the other end of the libertarians, if you will, in that the libertarians were free capitalism and the yippies were free workers. So... The, sort of the other end of it. and But it was not just uh, 
an economic, it was not just an economic war, it was an ideological war. Um, you know, and it's unfortunate that as Americans have, over the 50-year period, drifted to a lot of the policies that uh, that the Yippies espoused, the government is in the hands of a totalitarian group, which wants to uh, con control the narrative, uh, such as the uh, anti-Roe Wade decisions and other decisions that they're making that are curtailing people's rights while ensuring that statism and capitalism uh, are... Uh, um, are encouraged. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it, it's kind of strange that after, I, I think I would have imagined like after all the work that was done, we're in this era of legalization, that the surrounding political climate would be different than it is today as well. That would be what I would have assumed look, if I was looking into like a crystal ball years ago. Well, when you talk about a dark conspiracy, that, that's basically what the Republican program has been for the last 80 years since the 1930s when the New Deal, Deal came in. And basically, they want to repeal the New Deal and everything that came after that. And that includes Social Security, which they want to privatize, and uh, other basic uh, rights that people have. And uh, they want corporations rather than the government to be ascendant. And um, they don't really care about the world. They think that they're exempt, that, that they're exempt, for instance, from environmental um, uh, effects. And uh, it's hard to believe. I mean, radiation, bad air, uh, lack of water, that affects everyone. And uh, every... And if, it seems to me that uh, that um, that you know there's this group that it it shows carelessness and if you uh, that, you know there's this group that is composed of uh, uh, a lot of business people and then uh, a number of politicians are in it. It's called uh, uh, Bohemian Grove. And that is, it's uh, a very, very uh, uh, exclusive kind of group. And every year they have this festival that they put on. And the way they get to put the festival on is that they have certain members that are, work, quote, working members. And those are like di directors and you know, other people who are in the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. And they may not usually qualify, but because of their talents, they're brought in. So they uh, they have a festival that's put on for the, just for the members, all males, uh, uh, by this lake. And in that festival, in the same way that uh, the man is in Burning Man is uh, lit a fire. They have a figure called care, and they burn care. And so they're careless. They have no cares, and they don't care. And that's just uh, the, just 
Same thing as in the novel, it said, and they're not like us, they're careless. Wow. And the great Gatsby. Yeah, yeah. So... It's, it's you know, when you think about it, it's like there's there have been different times in the world's history where there's been greater concentrations of people with that mindset, where they would they would give up other people's freedoms for their own gain. And, and we actually, like, if you want to apply that to cannabis, I remember when I was first learning about cannabis history and hearing about, you know, our own William Randolph Hearst and the DuPonts and all the stuff that they did, like, when we look at a lot of the environmental issues that we have today, if hemp had been allowed to be a viable industrial material back then, we probably wouldn't have a lot of the issues we have with the environment today. But there were things with, you know, greed with plastics and the lumber industry and also just racist propaganda. And it's, I feel like it's kind of a macro micro thing seeing what, you know, we, we see in the world in waves well, uh, I don't know about the past, but I'm really worried about the uh, future. It's, yeah. It's, um, but let's talk a little bit about uh, the bright side. Like, as, as the world is going down, you can smoke a joint and contemplate it. <laughs> I would... I will enjoy mm-hmm. that. Yes, mm-hmm. let's do that. Yeah, that's that's because of my sativa habit. <laughs> See, I'm an indica smoker through and through. I I I'll do the occasional sativa. There are some that I really like, but I I think too much with those. Indicas are what what I can quietly com- contemplate without in getting too anxious maybe. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I used to go to this cafe, Cafe Med, which was on Telegraph Avenue on the Strip in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were the same people there, like, over a 10-year period. Are they still there? Are they still sitting in that seat over 10 years? Are they a statue or what? And uh, she called it the Cafe Morose. I have to admit that I felt very at home. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, you know, people would see each other for years and not talk to each other. Really? And, yeah. They, yeah. Was, they let you have your peace. <laughs> <laughs> together but not together in quiet contemplation. I love that. And my greatest honor from that might have been when such a regular customer I was actually invited to the Christmas party at the Cafe Met. And that consisted of going into this, like, private area, like you could consider it like the green room or a green room. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody got whatever they wanted, a pastry and uh, and a drink. Wow. You know, that was it. That was... I had finally made it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's gone. There, yeah. There's we we've lost a lot of places in the yeah. bay. How long have you been here? Uh seventy three. Wow. 
That's a long time. Yeah, it is a long time. Yeah. It's a lot of change, too. I got here in 96. Well, a lot of change. I mean, um, uh, everything's um, grown vertically. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, speaking of growing. It's grown up. Yeah, it has. I want to talk about your new book. Okay. Well, actually, first, before we get into the book, I was I was going to start counting, but how many books have you done? I don't know. What? <laughs> Which do you think is your latest one, your most favorite? I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, yeah, and I also think that uh, Grower's Hand, Marijuana Grower's Handbook, I thought that was pretty good. Good, too. But, but the, you know, everything's a work in progress, and, uh, you know, there are there are parts that could be strengthened. You know, nothing's perfect. If it's perfect, you know, uh, th then t in getting it perfect, you've missed the newest material. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I think uh, for me. But I, I think this is. I think this is a good representation of um, what people need to know. Yeah. Well, if, if you wait for perfection, you never get it done. Right. How, so when you were putting together this book, well, first of all, what made you decide to do a, a handbook again? Well, the old book was 12 years old. Uh -huh. And just like computer industry, you wouldn't use a 12-year-old computer book. Truth. Unless you had a 12-year-old computer. But So um, we wanted to do something that was more up-to-date. And the plant's needs are elucidated more. Uh, on the one hand, but even more important, there are a lot more tools that um, people can use to uh, uh, grow a great garden. Yeah. And some of those tools are dealing with knowledge and some of them are dealing with actual physical physical tools. Would you say that these are this is something that somebody who grows at any scale can get a lot out of? Yes. Because it, it goes into how to set up a grow room, you know, a small grow room, mm -hmm. and how to set up a, something with a number of lights. But um, it's not trying to go into a hundred light system or something like that. It's mainly for people with, with, that have uh, on the smaller end of it, except for a lot of the information that is in terms of how to set up a system. But uh, but the information that's provided in order to run that system or in order to set it up, there's a lot of information that people will want to have here. So it shows them a, a different way to uh, to determine light, light and how much light the plants get and how long the lights are on, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's a, it's a hefty book. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of beautiful pictures, too. I was looking through it. It's just really... I found that just about anybody could digest it. Like, it's very, very approachable and friendly. But you actually worked... You, you worked with a lot of different people on this, too, correct? Well, uh, my co-author, Rob Flannery... 
uh, has a doctorate in plant science, and mm -hmm. he runs Dr. Rob Farms. And then we collaborated with about a dozen PhDs or professors uh, in various areas, and then in the with people in the industry who actually wrote some of the material, and uh, it, we collaborated with dozens of literally dozens of people in order to put this together. That's awesome. And so we we got we were able to. Um, uh, to reach all these people and uh, have cooperation and thanks to the pandemic because, you know, they were home. <laughs> <laughs> A light in the perfect storm. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Keep that pandemic going. We're doing okay. Yeah, right. So, so we were working on it during the first 18 months of, of the pandemic. So That's awesome. Yeah. Do what we if I'm, it might be a hard question yeah. because, yes. but what's your favorite chapter? Well, uh, there's a, a group of stories about people who have unusual growing methods, mm -hmm. and I thought that was really interesting, and that here we're in the middle of this science class, basically. You know, because growing is a science, and we treat it, uh, it's not that we're into jargon. You notice that mm -hmm. everything is understandable. It's, yeah. It, we don't, we don't, we might mention what, you know, uh, a scientific term, but we don't, we don't start uh, having so much jargon that you don't understand what, you know, I know this is English, but I don't understand it, but we avoided that. We try to avoid that. So, uh, so, uh, and that took a little bit of effort. But, uh, but um, in the midst of all of the science, there are these people who are using other methods that really aren't um, covered in in most books about cultivation, and the uh, common denominator of them all is that they're successful. And, you know, uh, you can't argue with success. So even if something is doing, even if someone is doing something which another person might consider an anomaly, uh, if it's working, who's to argue with it? So we thought that the, some of those should be covered. And I thought that was Really interesting section. Yeah, that is well. It kind of I, 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 I love hearing about stuff like that because it really shows like how I think just so many things relating to cannabis, whether we're talking about cultivation or you know crafting edibles or just you know I mean a lot of the creation that's going around. It's just a very creative plant and the different things that you can do with it and how you can approach it. And I noticed that you had Angela Baca yeah. on the book too, who I adore. She's one of my favorite people. She's brilliant. Yeah, she was very helpful. She she um, contributed a lot to the book, especially in uh, project management, development, things like that. Yeah. She's very helpful. Yeah. She's an amazing writer and she's a really good editor too. Yes. 
So we've, we were talking about the handbook, but when we first were talking about it, you had mentioned also that you have this project that's going along with that, which is the Prisoners of Weed book pack. And yes. one thing I find really exciting about it too, there, well, there are a few things you get two books, but for, especially for people who are into growing and also who collect your books and study what you write, there are seeds from the master himself. That's right. I love it. And these are the, the GG gem seeds. And when we were talking about it before you were mentioning that about like the, the little mini pheno hunt that you get, if you, if you start growing them all. R right. Because, uh, they're hybrids of hybrids, and so um, anybody who's uh, taken even the uh, most elementary genetics class knows that if there's a hybrid, that the second generation is not uniform, it, they have different combinations. And so uh, there were a number of a number of uh, varieties that were hybridized, and then those hybrids were crossed and that's all in this all in this and the reason why it's called GG is because there are so many uh, varieties that start with G um, there's uh, Gelato 25 GG4 Gorilla Breath GSC and then Sunset Sherbet so there's going to be a lot of variability there and within that variability then you have uh, a way of doing a pheno hunt, and that's what this is about. And these, uh, they tend to have a lot of uh, uh, broad leaves and uh, are pretty stout. So, um, um, there, uh, if you wanted to see some photos, they'll be posted on uh, on my sites in the next few days. Oh, cool. Yes. How tall are they now? Uh, they're they're about a foot tall now. Oh, right on. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. I'm going to put them into flowering soon. Ah, I love that. I it's I love seeing them grow. I remember the first time I, I saw grow. It, it was unlike anything that I'd come across. And, like, I grew up with, like, my grandfather's farming. But... You know, this is this is nothing like Grandpa's zucchini. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a certain feel about it. But going back to the the book pack, so you you're doing this well. You have a really good cause that you're supporting with the pack. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. Uh, well, uh, people would think that with all this legalization, that um, things are going really well. You know. People are not being imprisoned, but uh, uh, recently uh, the DEA uh, issued statistics showing that um, uh, uh, in uh, 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 2021, the DEA made 6,606 6, uh, marijuana arrests. And that um, um, and um, that's the largest number since uh, 2011. 
And uh, there are still people in prison, even in states where marijuana is legal and legally sold. So people are in prison for what's now legal. And the last prisoner project originated by Steve D'Angelo, who is very, very effective at whatever he works on. Yeah. Yes. He's, well, anyway, he's working on last prisoner project. And the goal of that is to free the prisoners. And that's the very first thing and the most important thing, that nobody should be in prison for marijuana. And so uh, 10% of each uh, of the uh, gross from each order, that's not the net, you know, when you talk about net, it could be anything, oh, we had this expense, we had that expense, and then I had to have this expensive dinner with my family, so we'll <laughs> include that. Well, that's nothing like that. What this is, we we it, the uh, we give ten percent of the entire package to the uh, to last prisoner project, and we presented that you can look on the uh, on my sites and you'll see we uh, presented them with a big check and we're about to present them with another check, and uh, the good thing is that those checks aren't bouncing. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you know, it's one thing to give a person a check, but the, another thing to make sure that the check is good. So, uh, and it's not a lot of money, but, you know, uh, it, it's helping people to make a contribution to the, directly to uh, getting people out of prison. So, uh, we're, uh, so... When uh, you, you get the package, you get the books. They're great books. It's the new Cannabis Grower's Handbook and uh, Ask Ed Marijuana Success. And that is a little, is a, it's mostly, a, it's not a uh, large book, but it has a lot of great ideas in it and ideas that you'll probably adopt some of them. And then you get the seeds and this is, as I said, the GG Gem, which is GG Gem, which is a, uh, a, a cross of hybrids. And then there's uh, uh, ten percent of the uh, of the uh, of the uh, uh, money uh, that comes in goes to uh, to the last prisoner project, and. Uh, so everybody wins. And uh, uh, so uh, I hope if you're interested in growing, and even if you've grown before, you'll find this book helpful. And if it's your first time, it will be a really good guide for you to go th through and develop uh, uh, a great garden and success the first time. It also make a really good gift. Oh, yeah. Either, both the books and the seeds, either one of them. So yeah. You have two different gifts there. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I know. Um, I was I was actually, I was, I was telling a friend about your seeds, and he got so excited. He's like, wait a minute. Ed has seeds that I can get? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. And so he's like, okay. He, he, he loves your books, but he was saying that just for the seeds alone, he'd get the pack because... You know, it, it's there's there's something about 
being able to work with something that somebody like you, who has been doing this for so long and has been so impactful with the work, has worked on. I just think that that's really cool. And, you know, I was thinking about LPP and the work that they do and how we have so many people that are still languishing while there are a lot of us that are doing our work every day. Um, but you actually, you had issues with that. And I remember hearing that you have referred to yourself as a political prisoner at that time. Well, I said I didn't want to be a political prisoner. Yeah. I, I spent 36 hours in, in jail, but uh, they wanted to put me away for far, far longer. How long did they want to do it for? Uh, somewhere between five and ten years. Really? And I was found guilty by the uh, jury, and I got one day time served. Wow. Wow. How did that happen? Well, it's a sad story, but, um, you know, uh, the uh, judge and his wife were socialites. And uh, as he persecuted this case with the prosecutor, he, he um, and uh, made decision after decision that was unwarranted and uncalled for. Um, his friends started abandoning him. He belonged to this men's club, and people weren't talking with him anymore. He, uh, they weren't getting invited to parties, and so. In order to save his reputation, oh, my reputation was growing because as all these things were coming out, things that the jury wouldn't hear, things that uh, uh, weren't allowed in the courtroom, but they were, of course, allowed elsewhere. And I was giving a lot of uh, 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 different uh, interviews and uh press conferences and things like that. So anyway, we we had uh, his reputation was being sullied by some of the decisions he made, sort of like the Supreme Court today. It was just getting to be ridiculed in the newspapers and friends were deserting him. So he had to do something. And so they came up with, you know, they have these, this, it's like an Excel chart, and you, like, it's the offense, then there's other things, how many, how many times have you been convicted, and all, and, like, it showed somewhere between five and ten years, but he had to come up with something, so he had to downgrade my points which he did, so that it wound up that I did one day time served because he turned chicken because he couldn't, he knew that he couldn't live without being a socialite. Mm -hmm. And it was unacceptable for the community of citizens in San Francisco Bay Area. It was, he was acting against the interests of the community. 
so we had to write it. So he gave one day time served. I had already done 36 hours. So I did 50% of the time that I was, 50% more than the time that I was sentenced to. How do you get a refund on that? I don't know. <laughs> so, and, um, so he, um, uh, so then there was a press conference and everybody at the press conference was commending the judge on his wisdom and everything. And I get up. I was a, this judge did me no favors. He made me into a felon. No one should go to prison for marijuana. And so, you know, the Kumbaya circle, mm -hmm. didn't, it didn't form. That was it. That's all I had to say. And all... There were all these marijuana organizations. Oh, we love the judge's wisdom and the compassion. Da, 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 da. You know, and I said, this judge made me into a felon. He did me no favors, you know, boom. And that that's what that's what was played, not all the, you know. Uh, yeah, so. The, the great wisdom. So, so yeah. So uh, one of the people said, well, why did you do that? I said, well, you made it look like this guy's okay. And he was just a scared pig. Yeah. That's, that's all he was. Yeah. And I, he still is, you know. We, he still hasn't apologized for it. He, it's not that he owes me an apology. He owes an apology to the entire San Francisco community because he was, he was actually... He, I... I represented that community that was serving patients, you know, uh, that, and that, that's the thing. This guy had no compassion. I mean, he thought he was, he would be looked at so great, though, look, his great wisdom. He had no wisdom. He was a scared pig. I, I'll say it time and again. And uh, he, he doesn't deserve any uh, kind of accolade. Just none. No, no. I mean, especially when decisions. Being he he knew reasons. he knew the truth. Yeah. He knew the truth, and it was hiding under his robe. That's the truth of the matter. He knew what the real truth of this was. He's he's no fool. He he knew that what how important it was medically, but he was willing to just you know. Just like any uh, judge in an authoritarian system, he was just, oh, this is what the rulers want? Okay, I'll deliver it. That's who he was and uh, is. I mean, I, I don't think he's doing much anymore, luckily. But, uh, you know, he still owes the community an apology for that. that that's just one of the decisions that he owes. Yeah, an apology for. I remember hearing about that, and that was well before I was involved in the movement or the industry. And even then, like I remember, the biggest thing I got out of it was that you're an activist, and you were growing for people who were sick. Well, what I was doing was growing clones and delivering them to the dispensaries, so that. Patients could grow their own. And see, I didn't feel I was qualified to say, this person's a patient, this person isn't a patient. Mm -hmm. but, the, but the dispensaries 
they were perfectly qualified. They knew, you know, they knew their patients, right? Yeah. So, that, so I felt very comfortable that I didn't have to make that decision of who was, who was getting the clones. That was to be decided by the dispensaries. Yeah. Well, that, and that's the thing, like, especially during the 215 days, because that's, you know, when I, I started, um, you know, they're community, they're centers for community and we get to know people. And sometimes, you know, we were the only people that they'd have contact with in a day. We were their community. And, you know, so you, you start to understand what people's needs are and keep your eye out for them. And you just want to be able to help them thrive. Yeah. Well, there were a number of different clubs. There were a number of different clubs. They had different, uh, modes. Some of them, uh, were lo- had lounges. Some of them were just uh, cash and carry, and uh, they all served a purpose. They were all useful, and together, they served the needs of the community. So, uh, it was, uh, and I suppose in a way, uh, that's still happening. Not, not in the same dedicated way that it was uh, before uh, the new laws. Yeah, but uh, but I think that patients, uh, including patients in need, get get their uh, get their material, and especially as the price has gone down, especially in the uh, more traditional market. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure, and you know it's been. I ran a compassion program when we were in the two fifteen days, and it was really hard to be able to have to shut it down for a while during legalization. But I was really grateful for all the amazing activists that believed in compassion, and together we were able to get it passed to be able to give again. Because there are just I I remember like when I was sick, I had a job, and it was still prohibitively expensive. I can't even imagine if. You're too sick to work to be able to afford your cannabis, especially because for a lot of people, it's just the one thing that gives them the relief that they need without having to deal with pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the veterans organizations have uh, developed sources. Oh, yeah. They've been uh, great. Yeah. So that's been really helpful. Yeah. yeah that's been super helpful. And it's it's really – I I'm hoping that we see – things like that replicated throughout the states and also that we start seeing some of the states loosening up on the home cultivation laws as well. Uh, yes. Uh, for instance, uh, the state of Washington doesn't allow home cultivation. Uh, and they were one of the first states to legalize. It's crazy. Yeah. But everybody should be allowed to cultivate. And I don't think that the plant count is an adequate way to deal with uh, with uh, deciding what's a fair amount to grow uh, for a uh, for just uh, the ordinary person to grow. I, I think that there are other ways of doing it. I'm not going to go into it here, but the reason I don't think plant count is really fair is that. You can grow and flower a plant when it's six inches, when it's 60 inches, when it's 120 inches, and uh, then you can make it grow as a single stalk 
You can spread it out. So in saying you can only grow so many plants, which plant? Can I only grow four if they're six inches when they're ripe? Is, is that all I could grow? Or is there a fairer way of uh, denominating what uh, uh, what is the what's a fair amount for a hobbyist to grow? Yeah. Well, it's I as when we look at some of these states when they're putting together their laws, I think that sometimes Paul. Well, I know policymakers are always really worried about what's in it for the companies and taxes and everything for making money, but. As many people have said, you know, you can grow your own tomatoes at home, but it doesn't mean you're going to stop going to the store. Well, that's that's not the state's concern. The state should only concern should be that uh, people don't abuse abuse it and don't um, uh, start selling or doing commerce in it. But let's say. That, but there are any number of people who say that they won't. Uh, that the, there are any number of people who don't who uh, who uh, grow, and they grow much more than they can use, but they just give it away, and uh, some of them give it to or to organizations such as vet, veterans' organizations, mm -hmm. and some of them uh, just give it to friends. And so uh, if people are giving it away, should they have to have a, a license or a commerce license? And then uh, how, how do you limit, you know, should they be limit, also limited in the same way that someone who isn't? So it, it gets very murky. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I always wonder, you know, why... There isn't more conversation like the the veterans organizations are really good about talking about this. Yeah. But the fact that like like today we are looking at the Santa Cruz Veterans Alliance, they're using growing as a therapeutic, you know, a, a way for veterans to have a therapeutic environment. And growing is a huge part of their healing process. Yes. Well, Women's Alliance for Medical Marijuana, which is that down in Santa Cruz. Oh, Valerie, a, yeah. Yeah, she has the same same concept that people should, uh, as part of the therapy, people who can should help with growing. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize this until the other year. I was reading um, an article about the fact that soil actually has, working in soil has antidepressive benefits. I think working with plants does in general. Yeah. Whether it's in soil or hydroponic, the, the uh, but plants respond to the environment in a way that you can, it's palpable. You can see it. You can feel it. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's one of your, well, these might be two, this might be two different answers, but what is your favorite cultivar to grow and what is your favorite cultivar to smoke? Um, well, I'll deal with the 
second question first. Uh, the, my favorite varieties to smoke depends on the time of the day and the mood that I'm in and uh, and what my goals for the time are. So, so it will range between uh, some uh, some sativas, not so much the uh, haze type, but um, something more workable. And then, um, uh, then when partying, there are other varieties. I mean, it really depends. Um, but also, there are so many varieties that are out there, and so literally thousands of varieties. So that, uh, and there's not necessarily consistency within those varieties. So, so there's a lot to choose from. Yeah, it's true. I, I like a lot of different ones, but there's one that I remember in particular that I only tried once when I first started working behind the bar, it was a blueberry granddaddy purple. Hmm. And it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't as heavy as GDP. It had this really nice relaxing feel and all the stress left my body. And when I went back to work to get it, it was gone and I never saw it again. And I still think about it. <laughs> yeah. It's just one of those things. There are so many interesting ones. I, I'm hoping that it seems like we're seeing more people bringing back leg legacy genetics now, which makes me happy. Um, well, you'll find that a lot of legacy genetics um, so I think that uh, some of them um, would be considered quite ordinary now. And then some of them would stand out. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Well, and I think, though, it kind of it leans on, like, the emotional side of it. Because it is, I mean, that's the one thing that I've noticed. It's been a couple of years since I've been behind the bar, but I was back there for, like, eight years. And the choice around cannabis can be a very emotional, personal thing for people. And when we would have, especially people of certain age groups that had flowers it's almost like music that reminds you of a certain time in your life like when we would have something like Maui Wowie in the shop and you know when that was popular when somebody was a certain age when that was popular like their eyes light up and they're like oh I remember that and then they're like hey do you have some tie stick and I'm like don't go crazy on me <laughs> <laughs> there's no tie stick but I I love that aspect of it too just like how it evokes a lot of feeling and and I think like when we're looking at like how the industry is now where they're kind of making it more lifestyle driven and there's different styles to it for different people's approaches. That's great. But I think that the one thing that they're forgetting is that people who are really, really enjoy cannabis do have an emotional connection to what they're working with. And that's, I think something people shouldn't forget. Yes. But if you think about the varieties that were, around five years ago and what's around today, it would be a different menu. Yeah. So, so I think it's more like the auto market that there are always new models coming out. 
Yeah, I think that's true. I, I, I found that there was more of a variety of, of THC percentages when I started 10 years ago. And it's been an interesting conversation to talk to people about the fact that you can have something with lower THC with an interesting terpene profile and it can be, you can, you can profoundly feel it. And there can be times where you have something with a higher THC content and it may not get you as high as you think it would. Yes. <laughs> and I was thinking about like, and we've talked about this before, but like a prime example is, is one of the cultivars that you developed, J27. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's um, not necessarily the highest in uh, THC, but it has an unusual profile of terpenes. Yeah. Yeah. But at the time, like, I remember the first time I encountered it, I think, I want to say that it was somewhere between 22 and 25 when I saw it come in, whatever um, phenotype of it that it was, which at that time, like back in like, you know, I think it was probably like 2013 or something like that. Yeah. That was, that was pretty high for in a dispensary. And the thing that I, I heard from people the most was that it was really functional and it helped them get through their day. Yeah. It's functional, but you know, if you went to a party, you'd also want to use it. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Uh, it, it yeah. It, it didn't, yeah. Saying it's functional is, is good um, way of describing that because i mean you know that's that's one of the biggest things that people say is you know if i'm using especially you know if people are using it to create homeostasis sure but like when people are using it that one a lot of people swore by it for like pain and discomfort and they're like it's so nice to have something that doesn't knock me out and it does the trick this is what i need in this moment and it kind of goes with what you were saying about there's there's a there's a flower for every time of the day and every need. Yes, there is, and um, uh, when you think about it, um, uh, and you think about the mood that you want to be in, you could s define uh, what variety will uh, help you produce that. Yeah. You, you don't want something that's where your mind is going to be in a uh, uh, r rapid thought mode if you're trying to go to sleep. Yeah. And for people who are starting out with cultivation, when they're looking at purchasing, like if they're not going to go with seeds and if they're going to purchase clones, what are some of the things that they should look for in a plant? Well, I'm going to discount variety because that's you know, for people to decide, but the, it should look healthy. It should look like it's a healthy green. And um, it shouldn't have, um, it shouldn't look tired. It shouldn't have a paleness like, oh, can I get you to the emergency room? Uh, and um, um Looking at it, you could look and see if a lot of leaves were picked off it. So if a lot of leaves were picked off it, they probably were suffering from one way or another. So uh, that might make you a little beware of it. But uh, 
And then you should look to make sure that there are no insects or insect eggs on the leaves or the underside of the leaves. Do you think um, when you're when you're shopping for it that you should ask about the yield and the size of the plants because they can all be kind of different? Well, people will say that the plants have a certain yield. Well, plants actually start producing flowers based on the number of hours of uninterrupted darkness, usually between nine and a half hours and more of darkness. That means as the fall is coming on, more and more of that of the time in a 24-hour day is spent in darkness. So, um, so if you're indoors or in a greenhouse using light deprivation, that is sealing the greenhouse to light or using additional light, you can determine when the plants are to flower. And for instance, if you're running it at 16 hours and the plants aren't flowering, probably if you brought it down to 14 hours or 13 hours, uh, the plants would flower. And uh, I know that they would flower. And that would, uh, so that you would be able to manipulate when you want the plants to flower. And that, the less time the plants spend in uh, in uh, vegetative growth, um, the uh, faster you get a turnaround. Thank you for that. We're almost at an hour. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, well, here we are. Here we are. I, one last question. What are you excited about? These days? Yeah. I know it's a loaded question because there's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> well, I'm really excited about uh, being able to um, take some of the genetics from cannabis and putting them into yeast. And so that instead of growing plants, you are just uh, fermenting some yeast and then extracting the cannabinoids from that. Oh, that's fascinating. Are you are you starting on or are you about to? Oh, um, um, it, it has to be near hobby level, and it, it isn't yet. I got but it. But it will be. I'm yeah. excited to see yeah. what that turns out like. Yeah. That's really cool. What are you, what are you wanting to do with it? Well, I'd have a great beer drink. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily for wide consumption, but, you know, have a beer. That's fascinating. Yeah. I love that. You know, it's because there, maybe you'd solve all the problems of the, uh, of everybody trying to make something like a beer these mm -hmm. days, especially with like the de-alcoholization de makes it kind of tricky. But for personal consumption, hey, I love that. You you you've just and you've just 
had such an interesting life and and done so much and i just i feel really lucky that you're my neighbor over the hill (laughs) thank you so much for being here today and before before we wrap it up though will you tell people how to get to your website and follow you on social media and just you know generally like if they have a question for you want to see the next time that you're speaking how they can get a hold of you well um uh just go on edrosenthal.com and uh you can go from there and there are several different sites doing different things so uh I think that you'll find it really interesting. We try to keep it updated. So uh, uh, come come visit. And you also you can pick up uh, all my products, which are basically books. So, uh, and I highly recommend Cannabis Grower's Handbook. Whether you're just starting out or you're an experienced grower, you'll find this a useful uh, tome and... Uh, can use it just as a research tool as well. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming. And I've noticed on your social media, you post a lot of beautiful pictures. Yeah, pod porn. Yeah, especially the trichomes. Yes. I love that. I love that. Everyone check it out. Pick up the pack. Not only are you getting two great books, you're getting seeds from Ed. And you're supporting a really good cause. And we need all hands on deck to be able to create justice and equity in cannabis. Otherwise, we're not going to get it. So please, get involved. It's up to us. Remember, Planted is twice a month. And you can listen to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We are on Spotify, Pandora, Apple, Amazon, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, and of course, our parent network, the Radio Misfits Network, where you can listen to a lot of amazing podcasts. My fave is The Winemakers. Um, Also, if you like an episode, or if you like all of them, and I hope you do, leave us reviews. We want to hear back from you. We want to know what you're liking. Share episodes. And also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at Planted with Sarah Pion, Planted with Sarah on IG, and also on Twitter, www.plantedwithsarah.com if you want to come to the website and see the latest episode. But we want to hear from you. If there's somebody that you're curious about or something you want to learn more about, I'm all for it. So it's a crazy world out there. Be good to each other. Stay curious. And until next time, Sarah Payan signing out. Take care.